0: He would slam on the brakes, he would see something in the field. I'd slide the window back, his 2-2 rifle would go across me, he would shoot it. I would jump out, jump the fence, run over, get it, snap it if it was still, still living, chuck it in the back of the car and off we would go and that'd be dinner that night.
1: Welcome team. Now, you know when I say team, I'm going to bring you someone today who, on any team you want him on, any team of yours, you would want this guy on. Now the reason for that is... There's nothing he can't do. And he's a type of teammate that always, always wants to put a smile on your face. He always wants you to enjoy your work. Now I've had the privilege to work with this man, but since recording this podcast, I actually realised it's such a fascinating story. The three rules, the three checklists you guys know I, I always refer to. Number one, do you know what to do? Number two, do you have the resources to do it? Number three, do you really wanna do it? It seems like my guest works in reverse. He decides what he wants to do. He believes he can do it. So then he works out, okay, what resources do I need? Okay, I better learn how to do it. He works the three checklists in reverse. There's never been any set standard that you have to follow that checklist one to three. This man has gone from putting food on the family's table as a 15 year old by jumping a fence and catching the rabbits that his dad just shot and snapping its neck and bringing it to the dinner table to saying, Well, I could do this job. I'm going to go do this. I could do this. I could travel to Australia. I could play professional football. You know what? I could coach football. I could probably run the football club. I could be the general manager. Do you know what? I could probably go and find an owner in China and buy a club and become the CEO of the club. But in the meantime, why don't I just decide I'm going to run for council and I might be the mayor. There's nothing this man has ever thought I could do that. And he hasn't been able to achieve it. He sets out to do it. He then gets the resources around him to do it and then he learns how to do it at the moment time of recording he's the ceo of a major sporting club in australia the same club that he attracted and brokered the ownership for he's a great friend of mine privileged to bring him on enjoy the accent if you need translation i can't really help you there just try hard you may have to listen to it once or twice i have no problem understanding i love listening to him i love chatting to him Welcome, Laurie McKinna.
2: This episode of GTE is brought to you by Magic Glass, Sydney's professional glazers. Call eight triple zero Glass or visit magicglass.com.au. Okay, so for today's
1: podcast, I am really excited to be here with a good friend of mine, Laurie McKinna. Before I shake your hand and say thanks for having me, I want to put you in my
2: mouth at this point in the podcast laurie had handed hayden a cup of tea with his own face on it laurie
1: here he is here not be the first time (laughs) laurie mckinnon the mayor the mayor i won't drink it while we're filming but uh, as soon as i walk in typical laurie mckinnon hospitality can i get you a cup of tea and he brings out a cup of tea with his own face on there
0: On the cup Well, it's just I thought i would break the ice because I'm really nervous about doing this podcast with you. I've
1: never, ever seen you nervous in my time. So, Laurie, my reason for the podcast is to bring people who are at the top of their game, no matter what it is. The really interesting thing with you is you've been at the top of your game in many games. So that's kind of why, like, that's why I'm really excited about this is when I first met you, you were at the top of your game in a, in a marketing game, working yep. with with Asics. Before that, you were in the top of your game as as a player in Scotland. Which we, we'll we'll talk about that as a football player. Uh, when I met you, when you were working with Asics, you were a, a part time coach as well, at the highest level. We then got to work together, which was a great time
0: back in the year
1: two thousand.
0: Wow, nineteen years ago! Paramount of power, you know. That was it was great time. They were. Paramount Eels were involved and, um, you know, they were before their time, you know, they were, unfortunately, Paramount Power put a lot of money into the club, it was really an A-League club back in the old National League, you know, with yes. good facilities, good offices and, and a great network behind us but, unfortunately, it didn't work out.
1: Yeah, I mean, those times, I've got great memories of those times, I've walked in
0: your office and there's the old photo on the wall,
1: I mean, so you've obviously got... Great memories. Oh, nah, we'd,
0: me me and my wife and my, my two boys, you know, it was, it was something that was new and it was great. And I had to leave Essex. I had a great job at Essex. I was there for 10 years and it was one of the hardest decisions of my life was to actually leave, you know, and um, go full time into football. But I'd on the marketing manager manager's role and assistant coach's role so I could go full time. And, you know, it was the best thing I've done. And basically since then I've been full time in football apart from my four years as the mayor.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So yeah, when we worked together you were an assistant coach and and that was a that was I have great memories of that and we'll talk about some of the people you influenced, including me. But then you went and head coached and then you become the mayor. So from a distance we always stayed in touch, but from a distance I followed you were the best in your game marketing, best in your game assistant coach, you become best in the game head coaching. You set up a club on the Central Coast which which had a lot of success, a lot of success. At the
0: time we're recording, not so much, but they had a lot of success. Well, the first eight years that came out a couple of weeks ago, I was there for five and Graham Arnold for three. If you put all the points, three points for a win and one point for a draw together, we were the most consistent. We were top of the league. So if you put the league table together over eight-year period, the managers were top of the league.
1: Oh, by far. And I was—I really loved watching that. I loved the family environment you created in that club, which I know you valued when you're an assistant. But when you actually had to head up your own club, you could really create it. And you could feel that within that community. And And when they won the competition, they won a premiership, Years later, it still was because of that family environment that you built. Graham Arnold took over it. Were you in the crowd with your shirt off that day when they won the championship?
0: Yeah, that was at, Um, in Sydney. It was um against the Wanderers. Great, great afternoon. And I was in the corporate box, you know, because that's where mayors go. You get all the good tickets. But I decided before the game kicked off, uh, I would go down behind the goals with the punters because... Always thought when I was a Marners coach, I always wanted to leave the bench about five minutes to go in a big game when we're up a few goals and go and jump in the crowd. Always wanted, but I never done it. You never so did it. Never done it. So I went, I'm going down there. And as the game went on, the fans were getting happier, the, the boys were winning, and um, the last probably 10 minutes they started ripping their gear off, and I went, ah. I've got a bit of a big body here, a big hairy body. So i shutting the shirt and the gear off, and um, I think Fox actually zoomed in on me one of the times and checked the man boobs out. And I can remember one of the other politicians wanted because they saw, they knew I was down and they were wanting a bit of publicity and they came down and then they saw the shirt come off and then they pissed off. <laughs> um, it was lucky because it was a woman. And um, no, nah, I took my shirt off and that picture now and again just pops back up. up. It pops up.
1: We might have to find that and edit that into the <laughs> podcast because I'll never forget it because I'll, I was following your career. I followed you when you were head coaching, but I was also following players like Mile Stojowski, who, who uh, back then in the old Para Power days, you had a great influence on, and he became a very close mate of mine that I continue to work with. Now, he had a career all throughout Europe yep. that you must have been proud of, and seeing him play 40-plus game for the Socceroos, but then to finish it at the club that you were so passionate about and win that championship... I was following. I'll never forget it. I was, We took the family and we, we were in a in a bar in Ginderbine watching it on the big screen, and then the mayor pops up with his <laughs> shirt off. So uh, that's a clear memory of.
0: of that lucky, time. lucky! I never had my chains on because it catches the hairs, him the chain. You know, so it, it'd be these. Chains. Yeah, they, that chain there. So, um, but no, like Millie came to the club and was great. He's great professional. He always was. As a young boy at Sydney United, and then we turned up with Parapower. And that's with Joe Griffiths and Jacob Burns, you know, those guys yes. were all together. You know, th- to get that group of players, myself and Dave Mitchell, brought them through. And it was great to see Millie doing so well overseas. And the good thing is, Millie went overseas, had a great career, great career with soccer and he never changed. He was just the same boy, yeah. same woolly gong boy and he came back, you know, and he'd done wh- and that's great to see that these boys, you have a wee bit to do with a career and they go away and they come back and they're just the same. They never change, which is brilliant. You mentioned
1: a couple of other names there, Joel Griffiths went on for a career in Europe and Roos, Jacob Burns, I mean there was some quality back in that team that you feel kind of privileged to be a part of their careers, was there anyone else back there that now you've you've followed their careers and I mean Danny Townsend was in that 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 uh, team Danny's become a
0: ceo himself yeah danny's done well in business and came back as the ceo of uh, sydney fc and obviously i speak to danny every week in her roles. um steve berry's done really well in business Bezos went on and done b- peter bennett works for himself now you know a lot of these boys have been on and did very well and you know the nice thing about football you can go through your career and look at points like the manners they were a load of those boys came through Millie Ednak, Matt Ryan, um, Sainsbury. You know a lot of those boys all came through the manners as well, and and it's nice that like, Ednak travelled for three or four months to try and get a contract, and he got his contract and played for two years, and then went overseas and done a fantastic job captaining Socceroos for many years. So it's just nice to look back like I'm not one of the guys you go, yeah, I made him, I made him. You you know, you're just a small part in the career. You give them information that you think will make them better. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And these these boys have to do it. And it's why it's great now up here that I'm helping out with the youth team. I was head coach with Labby Haliti being my assistant because Labby never had his badges. Now Labby's got his badges, so I just assist out where I can. Wow. And it's great, Some um, three mornings a week, I'm up here, and that's why I've got the training gear on today.
1: I was going to ask, you're the CEO, but you're um, you're in the training kit. Yeah, because... That, that's, that's amazing, as a leader, you, you're still out there getting your hands dirty, and you're still... That's what I loved about you, and that's why I want to go there, definitely, because a lot of people listen to this on the leadership topic. You always were trying to build other people up, whether it was me on your staff trying to build me up, whether it was players trying to build them up. You always had this... uh, It's something that I admire in your leadership, which is why I have set out to talk to you on the podcast.
0: Well, at the moment, Glenn Moss, who's our goalkeeper, and he's had a fantastic season. For the last year, he's trained our kids. Goalkeepers, doesn't get paid any extra for it, and he's doing his coaching badges. So actually, because when I sacked myself to give Labby the head job and I put myself as assistant, I've actually sacked myself the assistant. I'm the assistant assistant, because <laughs> it's great for Mossy to go through his coaching. Because he always used to look at me to say something. I said, no, 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 Labby, you speak. Mossy, you speak. I don't need to speak anymore. I'm just there to help you when I can. And it's just sitting back, great seeing those two getting better and, um, and working together, because that's what it's all about. You need to be close with your assistant It's part of the family. And the two boys are doing brilliant, and I'm loving it. Just being at training most mornings, being involved in the bench in the game and, and helping out where I can. And it's good to see we've got a lot of young boys coming through.
1: So you you mentioned the word family there. It's a it's a big part of football that if, if you can have that tight group of staff, that tight group of players, and and behave like a family, they're usually successful, right? Is that the same... Do you approach that the same in your CEO role with your
0: staff? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Look, I came in here two and a half years ago, just over two and a half years ago. When Martin Lee bought the club, I brought him to buy the club. And our offices weren't next to the training ground then. We're in Honeysuckle, beautiful offices. I had brilliant views over harbour. You know, it was quite posh, but wasn't practical. The first thing I noticed was you had a football club that you had football admin over here and football staff and you had office admin and like many clubs over the years, the football, whether it's rugby league or um, rugby union or soccer, they never crossed, you know, yeah, cause it's two yeah. separate businesses and it's not two separate businesses, you know, it's one club. So we moved out here over a year ago to the uni, um, right, you can look at the window, 50 meters away, the boys are training. Um, It's a great setup. Yep, so yep. that was one of the best, that was one of the most important things we did. But the big thing for me is when I went in to the Jets office, it was just, it was a, a strange environment. There weren't a lot of banter, you know, there was a lot of serious faces. And um, that was in the preseason. you know, there were no even games on. It wasn't though you'd just been beat the weekend and everybody's feeling on yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah, So the big thing was when you're in an office, you're the front of the club because you're picking up the phones, You're you're dealing with public coming in. You have to be up. You have to be yeah. up. There are too many sad pussies going about the place. Then, so you're coming to a football environment. They could go anywhere. They could spend their money anywhere. We want them to spend it with us. We want them to support the team. So have a bit of personality. And You come in here some days, you've got Joe Griffiths, you've got all the football staff, Clayton Zanex, Socceroo, he's one of the assistants. Ernie's in here, and although Ernie doesn't smile a lot, he's actually quite funny. And he's got good, good banter as well. And Labby Heliti comes in. You know, the office is buzzing. The staff are involved. And it's it's a, I've always believed as a football player, as a football coach, as a working moan business, working as a CEO, if you've got a happy environment where you work, you work better. So if yeah. I was happy as a player, you played better. If you're happy as a coach, you coach better. If you're happy where you come to work, you look forward to coming to the office to work. Um, it's not a chore. It's, it's a good sign. As soon as it becomes a chore, it's time to move on. And and I've always thought that and pushed that, and it's always worked for me anyway. It's a
1: powerful message, that, to, to enjoy your work. Enjoy your work, and it really shows. It's clear, it's evident that you could see. I've always seen in you that you enjoy your work. And like you say, someone at the front office or a player even, you could see on any given day at training if someone enjoys their work or doesn't definitely it, it's very evident and there's some industries and there's some jobs out there where you know if i go and buy a coffee from someone and i clearly see they're not enjoying ser- serving me and they don't care i'm probably not going back right
0: i say it all the time if i go for a cup of coffee and even if it's shit coffee if they're a bit of banter and a bit of interaction over the counter you're going to come back and they remember you Cause know you remember because <laughs> it's you just enjoy going there yeah 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 I notice
1: there's something about that in your personality. I don't know. But obviously, it's how you were brought up. The, the Scottish bit too. I went to Manchester United in 2002, and I got the same vibe from Alex Ferguson. He was all about. We sat like this over over a lunch, and he was all about the family. You know, he mentioned that a lot of times, and he also told a story of when he built the facility there at Carrington. How he. He had to get everyone together for lunch at the same time every day. It didn't matter if you are David Beckham or the girl at the front right. office. And that was the same. Is that, that philosophy, is it something, I mean, this must be going for hundreds of years in the in the game of football. Was it drummed into you early, back in your time in Scotland? Or no, like we were, where did you pick all this up from?
0: I just p- picked it up probably a lot in Australia. Like the hard work ethic, Picked up in Scotland when I left school. Left school at 15 and a half. Became a lace weaver and um, always set myself goals. I wanted to be the best lace weaver. Then I became a van driver. I wanted to be the best van driver. Then I signed professional, which was semi-professional, so I was still working. Um, and a, As a dream, as a wee boy, I wanted to be a football player, so I achieved that dream. It was like, tick, there's another one. I, I managed that and I played... I played a few games in Scotland, which was good then, came to Australia, made the biggest decision in life to come here with my wife and two young boys and um, to play football, came for a year and it's 32 years later. And and it's been great, you know, and and I've been so fortunate that most of my jobs in Australia have been involved in football or in the sports game. I've been so fortunate that I've actually enjoyed all my jobs just about, you know, apart from the first first, um, maybe six months to a year. I became when I became a sales rep because everybody was a sales rep and I went I can do that so I got my first company van it wasn't even a car it was a wee a wee kind of ute thing but did I give a shit somebody was paying my petrol and I could not believe I've came to Australia and I've got a car that somebody else pays for me to drive around about and I am um, I thought I'd made it you know I'd made it and I came to Australia when I was three years old and stayed here for two and a half years and I went back to Scotland to primary school with a Aussie accent, you know, and um, I got the shit kicked out of me. So that's why people say, how do you keep your accent for so long? And it's because I'm scared in case I speak <laughs> like an Aussie. I go home and somebody bashes me. So, um, but no, I've just been fortunate in my workplace that I've been in an environment. That's, and I've always worked hard and had more in businesses with my boys and that. But
1: Fascinating I, story. So you, you're doing this job and you say, hey, I can do that. Hey, I could do that. Hey, what made you say, "Hey, I could be the mayor"? Well, what, what, I came back. What for China. happened from I'm coaching, I'm head coaching, I'm he- heading up a, a professional sporty, sporting sporting
0: organisation, and you go, you know what? I can be the mayor. That's basically what happened. I basically came back for China. I was over there for about the 13 months, wife and we had a great time. You know, my missus, she was she's quite tall, Christine, five feet eight, five feet nine, blonde. 38 double D big boobs so sorry and
1: so you're coaching
0: in China yeah I yeah. in China I'm the only Aussie the big boobs I'm the only Aussie coach to have coached in China in the Super League right and um, yeah so Christine been quite well and down in China in Chengdu the, in the summer she was quite a big hit with the cleavage hanging out you know a lot of people walk into the lampposts and stuff like that but sh- we had we had a great time um, hi <laughs> Christine hey Christine love you lots um, We had we had a great time but I learned how not to run football teams. That was a great learning thing, actually. And then when I came back, I was back as general manager of football. Um, Annie was still at the club because I helped bring Annie in. And then uh, John Singleton said, for me out. I said, it was good mates with Single because my time with the Mariners and his big Central Coast pair. I said, Look, we'll be going for council. I said, I'm not interested, John. You know, I've never, never been interested in council in my life. And he said, "Come," and he kept coming at me. And, and single was quite persistent. Like I signed a five-year deal with single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After year which one, we need which need to get back to, which is yeah. on the back of your Mother's Day menu, forty-dollar Mother's Day menu. I've never spent that in Christy. Yeah. Forty bucks—that's over the top. <laughs> um, so we eventually, I said, and I went to Christy. said, what do you think? She said, "Oh, whatever you think, darling." As usual, she put it back on me. And I said, "All right, the code's been good to me, so." For the next four years, I'll, I'll go what for council. Man? So we run, now that was council.
2: Ah, right.
0: So I got the biggest independent vote ever. I got two people off my ticket, so two two people out of ten. And then over the next week and a half, all the councillors would meet me to tell me why I should vote for them as the mayor because they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And I thought about it and I spoke to Single and went, I don't like this I, I, I. You know, you don't achieve nothing unless you work as a team. I've always believed in that. And um, I went, I'm going to go for that. He said, yeah, go for it, son. Go for it. So we went and met. We met the Liberal Party because there were four of them. So with the four of them and me and Gabby Bowles, that was six that gave us a majority. So I went to the, two days out for the mayor's um, vote. I said... Uh, I'm wanting to be the mayor. They went, you've no experience. I went, I don't give a shit. I said, if I start it in a sandwich shop down the road for the other one, I'd need to learn the process, the procedures. I'll learn. I'll put my hand up. There are five new councillors, five old ones. It's a time for change. Yeah. And they bought into it. And yeah, even yeah. on the night, my mum had just come out from Scotland. My dad had passed away five months earlier, so my mum was there, and she saw the posters all around about the town, Team, team McKenna. And... um I got voted on, and I'm sitting there like a stunned mullet, going, "What do they do now?" Because the <laughs> mayor had stepped down, and I'd got the gig. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. First time I was in the council chambers, and they chucked the gold chain at me. Wow. And then that's when the jealousy kicked in. Christine was jealous as hell. So
1: you had to learn. So you clearly you decided I want to do it, and you yeah. had some support. So you had, I results, I was, had,
0: you had to learn then what to do. Right? I had to yeah. learn. I'd, I, I had trainer wheels on. You know, the general manager at the time was Steve Glenn, who basically babysat me. But I picked up because I could deal with people. And then you understand a lot of people said, "What's what's the difference between football and the, and the council?" And I said, "Politics." And I meant nothing. You're dealing with a bunch of backstabbing bastards. Somebody's always trying to shaft you, and you have to just be one step ahead to watch for it coming. And that's. Football learnt me a lot to deal with, because you can pick, and sometimes in the council chamber you think you've got your numbers, and you haven't got the numbers, you know, because a lot of bullshit going on, so it was a great experience, I learnt a lot in the four years, then the amalgamation happened, so went out in the May, started here in the June, it was perfect, so it worked out perfect, and then I became the CEO of Newcastle Jets, and people said, have you ever been a CEO before? I said, no, but I'm going to have a go, and I've had a go, and Good success, and um, people think I've done all right. I think I've done all right, and um, and it's just a great environment to work in. I tell you what, it's
1: I'm, I kind of I knew all this stuff about you, but talking about it's even more fascinating. You've just decided from your very first job, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Next minute you're a head coach, then you're a general manager of football, then. Then you're a mayor, then you're a CEO. So I, at the start of the show, I said I bring people who are at the top of their game, but I don't even know where your game's going to go. I don't know what's next, but I'm sure well, I'm, it's going to be the I'm top. I'm getting older.
0: I'm getting older. I'm getting more mature now, so um, I still feel as stupid as I did when I was young. and I think people who know me, the sense of humour, I love taking the piss and not taking myself too serious. Yeah. So I don't know what I'll end up doing. I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. You know how your parents (laughs) always ask you what you're going to do when you grow up. I've I've no idea. Well, you still feel young. I still feel young, and uh, and in this environment, the football environment keeps you young. It does, it does, and that's why it's great. People say they miss coaching, but because I'm linked, I'm in with the youth team. It's it's like a wee fix, you know, being with the boys and seeing. Quite a few come through the first team in the last year and a bit. It's been great. Yeah, And you keeping healthy. Yeah, keep him healthy. I don't run about much anymore because of a few injuries. I can't, but do a lot of walking, a wee bit of exercise, a wee bit of swimming and that, and I'm, I'm doing all right. When you do your walking, you listen to podcasts? I will be. Oh, you will be. I will be now. <laughs> I will be now. <laughs> Take
1: me back. You mentioned John Singleton. Now, that's a... There's a successful man. Has he become a bit of a mentor to you? or you Obviously, you learnt some things from him. But I want to go back to when he signed you to go and head up to Central Coast Mariners, no, so the contract.
0: I was actually signed. So I'd coach for the first season. I won coach of the year. We made the grand final, get beat for Sydney. Smallest club, smallest budget, and um, single run the stadium. So I became mates. with single and. I had, the club had approached me to sign as we got to the finals and I'd been chasing them. I'd actually no contract with them. I'd never signed a contract. I was getting paid, but they wouldn't commit to a contract. And I think they were just worried that the club folded at the time because it was new. So Sydney came for me and they were very, very keen to sign me. I had a few meetings with them and um, single heard about it. And he was on the board of FFA at the time for the first year. And, um, he sponsored the club he sponsored the manners for the first four years and he um and he phoned me up one night because I hadn't resigned and it was just before the grand final and I was remembered he did a few beers <coughs> and he said um I'm going to come and see you tonight he swore a few times because I'm, I don't swear a lot so I'll not use the exact words but he said whatever you're going to be I'm going to see you and you're going to sign for the manors and that's it and I'm going to phone Frank lawyer and tell him Keep his hands off because obviously he the shares in Sydney, he was an owner of Sydney FC. <coughs> and I said, okay. And at that time, I was undecided because obviously Sydney was going to a big club and it was yeah. a lot more money. I was the lowest paid coach in A League. And um, I knew as soon as I got off the phone with Single that I was going to sign, I was staying at the Marners. I just knew that somebody like John Singleton picked up the phone, he phoned me. So I was going to meet him at Iguanas. Yeah. down at the waterfront. So I drove down. I got a phone, conf, a phone call for John O'Neill and, and said, look, your deal's off with Sydney. Um, Singler's been on the phone with Frank Lowy, abusing him, telling him he'll be going to the press, he'll be doing this, he'll be doing that. So just make sure you get plenty off him. So I met him, he came in. He came out, I was waiting for him outside and he came out the door. He had an old Ford Falcon wagon that he used to drive. Cause he didn't have a posh car and his driver was driving Alan and he kind of his door wouldn't he lock so he had one of those jockey straps holding the, the door shut he'd multi knuckles.
1: multi-millionaire
0: yeah that's why he's about. a millionaire he's yeah. a tight ass. <laughs> he must have been Scottish um, and he he came out he said here and it was that was John O'Neill he was back on the phone and he'd been speaking to him so we went inside so we basically sat in the back office of the iguanas and um, I signed a five year deal on the back of Mother's Day menu, and he said, "Look, whatever the Marners don't pay this contract, I'll pay it." But as it finished, I phoned Lyle Gorman on the way home that night. He wasn't too happy that Single Singo <laughs> signed me in a five-year deal, but he they they matched. They everything was fine, and I signed a, a real five-year deal after it. But have you kept I've still the Mother's Day it. menu? Yeah, yeah, I've still well, got, it, still got it. And um, I want to get Singo on the show now. There were um, with you one. A copy get put in the safe there, and yep. um, I got a copy, and single got a copy, and it was all on it, and it was, it was fantastic. When I came back for China, I was going to come back. Single was looking to buy the club at that time, the manners, and he wanted me to come back as CEO. That would be two thousand twelve, but yeah. it never it all fell through. So, um, and I went back to the club, and then that's when I went back, went to council.
1: Wow. So, any other mentors along the way that you know, if I ask. Who's had a big influence on your life, career? Um. I think
0: in the coaching side of England, it was Dave Mitchell. I was yep. Mitch's assistant for five years, and I learnt a lot of Mitch that bringing that happiness, and you just saw that yep. when you were at Parramatta. We were at Sydney United going through hard times, and we had a real close team, and same at Parramatta, and the banter was good, and I learnt a lot from Mitch. Mitch had played at big clubs all over the world, and... Um, and I learned so much off him how to deal with people and um, and keep things bubbling along because it's sometimes hard. It's sometimes like Groundhog Day when I used to play. You know, yeah, I, I was yeah, only yeah. training three or four nights a week, and it was like Groundhog Day. So to keep it interesting, and that was was great. So I learned a lot, a lot off Mitch for that. Have you stayed in touch with Mitch? Yeah, yeah, stayed in yeah. touch. Not as much as because Mitch went overseas and overseas. Not as much as probably should have, but yeah, life gets busy with everybody. He was up uh, maybe a month, two months ago. He was at one of our games. Yeah. He came up in the box. And um, no, nah, he was fantastic. And I learned a lot of him. And um, business sense? Business sense, I think, it's just that old work ethic. You know, I think my mum and dad struggled for years because we came to Australia as a young family, came back in the early 60s. And my dad worked his arse off. He was working a factory, worked shifts. But the McKenna family around about where we live were all big poachers. So to keep me the table, my dad shot shot rabbits, deers, hares, pheasants, went poaching salmon, used to get, I think the most he ever got was 76 salmon.
1: So what's your memories of that? What, well, what I, never, I don't eat fish now.
0: Really? Yeah, because I, I never liked salmon, it was too strong for me, and my dad, my sister and my brother used to gut them with my dad, and I wasn't into that. I don't like hospital shows where they cut people open and that. Um, but I used to be the runner, I'd jump out of the car, I'd be the wee minivan, and he would slam on the brakes, he would see something in the field, I'd slide the window back, his 2-2 rifle would go across me, he would shoot it, I would jump out, jump the fence, run over, get it, snap it if it was still still living, chuck it in the back of the car, and off we'd go, and that'd be dinner that night. So we, we survived a lot. You know, if my mum and dad were going out, my dad would say, oh, don't open. It, don't answer the door if anybody chaps the door. I said. Why? I said the electric man's ready to come round and read the meter. And my dad would have magnets on the on the electric meter at the time to slow it down because you know with no money and it was survival. So I think I learnt in those days you have to just roll up your sleeves and have a go to survive. And my two boys, Scott and Stuart, they um, they've got great work ethic as well. They work they work really hard and big hours, but they, they get rewarded for it as well. I love
1: that story. That That's going to be edited in, definitely. You got this, Aaron. That's one. That, oh, I Everyone needs pod, to right? hear that. Everyone needs to hear that. It's such a good story. How, what inspired you to become a CEO? Yeah, I used to jump the fence and snap it. Yeah, yeah snap that's a that's rabbit's bad. neck and
0: <laughs> go for a pheasant. And my dad would, we'd, you'd go walk along a river and my dad would always have a snare in his pocket. And people say, what's a snare? It was a bit of wire and a bit of wood yeah. with a loop. And they would see the salmon in at the side of the river and they would, you hooked it over its tail and you, you hanked it out. Or you tickled them. You went in and you tickled them and then it kind of made them relax and then you'd just chuck it out on the bank and then you'd go <laughs> home with salmon. And um, so... Oh, I love it.
1: And your dad used to play around with the electricity meter and to save some money and... That's either. what you do now as a CEO with your own business. Yeah, We're I mean just, you, doing you, you're you're just doing a budget before you You're, you're before just you saving can. the places, you know. You're turning light switches off when you need them and, you know. I, I just never like got the lights? My light on.
0: <laughs> I don't put my light on. So, um, but no, it's, it was tough. So no, I've that's always, fantastic. I've always grown up like that. And, um, you know, I don't think my dad ever saw me play until my first trial game when I was 16, you know. Um, not 18, when I went for the trial with the D united it was the first time he saw me and, because in those days it wasn't a big thing like Australia's parents follow the kids everywhere. But yeah, my dad was a bus driver at one stage, and I was playing my local team, my amateur team, Golf United, and he walked past. Basically, he walked past. He'd go and get picked up with the bus to go to work. That night when he came in, he went, "Oh, sorry for a couple of minutes. He never done much, but that was he would have saw me for about two minutes, and that yeah, would right. be the most he'd saw me until he took me up to go and trial with Indi United against um, Brecon City. Yeah, yeah. My yep. first trial game, a professional club, and um, he was trying to tell me what to do, and he had no idea about football my dad. My dad wasn't into football, um, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a good day, because I never got signed with them, but they called Kilmarnock for me to go out and trial with Kilmarnock, and it worked out all right.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm loving this chat,
0: Laurie. We could go on forever. What about some of our days we shared together?
1: What about the day I've just walked in here and bumped into Joel Griffiths and yourself, and the first thing you reminded me of was my wedding proposal. I mean, this should should we take the podcast to actual wedding proposal stories? I or think so. So, what's your memory? Because my memory is we were we were about to travel to Brisbane, and you'd and been
0: telling me you were thinking about getting engaged. Getting engaged, that's right. And then we started bouncing things as we did in those yeah. days and even when i was at Essex, we used to bounce that's right you used to come in with all these ideas and we'd bounce <laughs> things about and i said "What we'll about proposing on the plane mm. i can organize that i can do that that's right so and we went got, i'm in for it i'm in so, so
1: we we got anset was the airline yeah remember? And
0: you flew up early so we faked it and got you up we told that's right yeah, So we told so you. i told
1: my girlfriend yeah. at the time Listen, Laurie McKenna's going to drive you to the airport. I picked her up. I remember picking her up. I've already gone to Brisbane because I want to check out the training facilities. But meanwhile, we'd arranged with Ansett that I hadn't flown to Brisbane. I was already on the plane with the cleaners before anyone boarded the plane. I'm at the back of the plane. You arrive with my girlfriend. Bring her on. Sit her at the front of the plane. I'm at the back. She doesn't know I'm at the back. We press play of the music. The wedding singer. It was all set up. It was all set up. Staff were brilliant. It's like the scene out of The Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer song comes on.
0: You stroll up for the back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'd pre recorded a message on on a tape recorder and I said, I just want to introduce my girlfriend, Nicole. Um, Nicole, will you please stand up? So she stood up and And you She had no idea what she was doing. Her face was bright red. I'm the back of the plane watching her. Then I said, I just want to introduce Nicole uh, let everyone know how much I love her and I want to marry her and, and Nicole will you marry me but I'll be waiting for your answer at Brisbane Airport so her face is bright red all you guys are looking at her the
0: whole plane's looking at It'd her there be a cheer I think there were a bit of a cheer going on as well that's
1: right then she then the whole plane thinks I'm waiting at Brisbane Airport and then I say hang on turn around and face the back of the plane I remember now Everybody turned to the back of the plane. And that's
0: when it was all the cheer.
1: I'd come out carrying this big bunch of flowers, which Jacob Burns bought for me. The first uh, p- bunch of right. flowers he's bought. <laughs> he bought me a bunch he's of flowers to ass. give Nicole. And I've come out and her face
0: was bright. Imagine she said no, Laurie. <sighs> Pressure was <is> on. <laughs> 300 people on the plane, no, cheering <laughs> and all that. But you're lucky and you're still married yet. But still sh- married, that's about... Uh, Said 18 years ago that 19
1: yeah. years ago that that proposal, and you guys were cheering. Millet was crying. Uh, they upgraded us, remember? Yep. First class. You put it in the telegram the telegraph the next week. It was a
0: big story back no, then. No, no, it was it was all it was good. Better than the best
1: wedding proposal ever. Better,
0: better than Maines. Better Christian taught me she was pregnant. And you said, better get married. I said, we better get married. So then I had to tell my mum and dad, then go up and tell her mum and dad. That was hard. I had to wait. I waited for her dad to leave. He was a plumber and they always done home jobs at night. So he would always leave after tea and go do a job. So I waited till he left and then I told her mum. Still hard. And um, so that was that was my proposal. So Christy never quite got one. So Christy oh, did get one because she, she did more. get one. She likes my proposal better than. Yours. She got a good one because she fell pregnant with it. Oh, well, there you go. There
1: you go. <laughs> Yeah, so, wow, we had some good times, and and I just want to, um, probably you've never even realised, but you did, I mean, my career's gone in certain ways, you actually influenced me a lot back then, the bit about loving your work, and be passionate about your work, and the energy you bring is contagious. Oh, big thing. Like a lot somebody- of that stuff happened back in our early days, and, you know, it's, it's amazing where things have gone.
0: Um, but it's great to be back here sitting with you, and, yeah, and no, it's amazing if I see somebody and there's no smile, and I'll say, "What's wrong with you? Come on, there are a lot of people worse off than us." And then usually there's something happened, or even if I'm feeling shit, I still tell people I'm feeling amazing because it gets a reaction from people rather than going, "Oh yeah, I'm all right and all right," because they probably had a hard night or a hard day as well, and they're not feeling great. So if you just want to sit and moan and whinge about everybody because life's tough. You're going through a tough bit. We got beat at the weekend. No, be on your front foot and say you're amazing. Well, and and energy is contagious, and, and you can sit in the car and be quiet mm-hmm. for a wee while and yeah, feel upset that something's not going right. And I had one of those days on Monday. You know, spent a day in Monday, uh, Melbourne on Monday, and it was a waste of time at the finisher. You know, and I was pissed off. I've done it now, but I had to do it. But life goes on.
1: Well, sometimes that's that's, you know, we're not uh, we're not saying there's nothing wrong if people having a hard time, but in the performance industry, and you have to perform, you have to perform no matter how you feel, and basically you're performing every day.
0: Every day, and you're out because pub, everybody's looking. Somebody's yeah. looking for a slip up, and somebody's a lot of people, keyboard warriors want you to slip up because then they can jump on. But usually I jump back on and tell them the facts. Because if they're right, I'll agree with anybody having a go at me if they're wrong, I'll stand my ground and say, this is the facts. And um, and it works quite well because I'm quite active on social media. Well,
1: that's interesting. You are quite active on social media. Have you ever let it get to you? Because that's an issue with a lot of young people now, a lot of young athletes, a lot of young footballers. They, they let it get to them. And, and if that affects their sleep, then their sleep affects how they perform mm. the next day. And like... A lot of young kids maybe can't deal with the anxiety that all that brings. How do you handle
0: it? I was the first coach to go on Twitter many years ago. He in said Ailey. Twitter then. Say that again. Twitter. 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 And and when I went to the game, Fox found out I was on it. And they actually asked me, could you do a wee half-time tweet? But they never told the commentators. And when I did it, I got smashed smashed did you I got and the show was on t- I got a, an apology on a Monday night but still I got smashed but when I was the mayor of Gosford like I was active on that and and you know if I made this tell people if I make a decision if I've got a cast and vote in a big development and say 10,000 people with in a population 170,000 uh, don't like me because of that decision it's a lot of people so you have to take it bad with the good with the bad, you know. There are a lot of good stuff out there, but when and as on the negative side, you have to deal with it. How do you deal with... Okay, so how do you
1: deal with a... It's like the boxer. You got punched in the face. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with a little setback? What's your thought process?
0: Actually, I write... Usually I'll go back. Sometimes I, I write some, then I actually take a deep breath and I read it again. So a lot of time, and Christine was quite good with us, she would say, you can't write that. You have to, you can't, you're, it's too personal or too... So I never, ever get personal. Always, when somebody has a go, as I said, if they're correct, I'll go on and say, I agree with you, you've got that right. I'll change, I'll try and look into something for you.
1: Is that the same you were on the football pitch? You make a mistake, take a deep breath, next job? Nah, no, no, nah, I was a bit more aggressive. Fiery. I was pretty fiery. aggressive
0: and um, I would... If somebody whacked me, I'd whack them back. Yeah. And at the end of the game, it was all finished. Yep. And I'm still a, a big believer in that, even with the youth team. I've had a few run-ins over the last couple of years with the youth team because people don't shake my hands after the game. And that really pisses me off because it's wrong. You What happened... In my day when you played football, you got... as a striker. People kicked you. I kicked them. The game finished. It was all done. And nowadays... In the game, you can't do. It. There are a lot of people can't do that. But I learned when I was at council, it's all right to agree to disagree, and I did learn that a lot because yeah, I used to sit and meeting after meeting, and people are going on and rabbiting on, and you're going, "This is doing my head in." So I just got right. We'll just stop there because I'm not agreeing with what you're saying. You don't agree with me. We'll agree to disagree, and I quickly just grab the hand, shake the hand, right, move on, next topic. Yeah, right. And I've yeah. learnt, I've learnt to deal with things because. We've all got opinions. Yeah. yeah. And that's the great thing about our game and football and every sport. You've, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's a coach and everybody's got a right for an opinion. Yeah. Some of them is just a bit more vocal how they say it. And and some of the stuff when they're on social media saying, I'd do this, I'd do that. Yeah. But they don't know the background. We know the background. We know how somebody has been training. We know how they've been performing. We, so it's all right to agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you don't need to fall out with anybody. Just move on. Don't dwell about it. Cause move on. I like to leave it there. I've, We've talked about it. We've dealt with it. It's dealt with. Don't dwell on it. Cause Are too you the many same
1: in your relationship? We. Christine's listening to this. She'll listen you to this. You don't dwell?
0: I don't dwell. She does.
1: Because Brad Fittler in one of our other podcasts, he he brought up the ducks, two ducks in a pond when they fight. They go like this. But then they just, it's done. And they just go. Hope Christine's up. not you a know? duck. No? No. She dwells.
0: She dwells, but you don't. Okay, Christine, I'll come and check this. Yeah, you can do a podcast with but. her. She'll tell you the her side of the <laughs> story. But no, Christine dwells a bit, and um, but I don't. I try and not. Yeah, we've had a disagreement, No, a disagreement. We've had a difference of opinion. Move on. Move on. I want to talk probably two more
1: topics. One, one that's really intriguing. You, you actually brought owners from. You bought businessmen from China to buy the club you're currently working for. Think about the story we've just spoke about. Did you ever see yourself in China with billionaires saying, "Hey, let's go buy a football club in Australia"? Like it sounds like when you used to catch the salmon. It sounds like you've gone over there and tickled them, and gone. Here you go. Here's a club in Australia. It I, wasn't
0: quite as easy as tickling them, but somebody <laughs> actually came to me who I knew from a time in China and said, right. "I've got somebody interested." can you do something with FFA? I said, of course, I've got a good reputation. I'll go to FFA. I went to FFA, explained the background. A month later, the guy arrived. I'd never met before, so we had a cup of tea downstairs for 20 minutes before going into FFA. One of these
1: cups. It wasn't in yeah. my mayoral cup. I no. wasn't in
0: the mayor at the time. And, then, oh, no, I, probably that was in my home. I brought it in here, okay. taking a piss one day. Yep. Um, and then it came out a few months later. Then he said, I want you to be the CEO of the club. And I went, yep, I'm on.
1: I'm so this whole town, this whole club that survived because you've gone and got a a, a billionaire from China. It's it's, it's a fascinating story. I, I bet there's more stories. And I mean, I bet you those people are good stories too that, you know, one day you'll introduce me and we'll bring them on the show. The other one, finally, family because... I've always known you as a real family man and I know I'll have one listener of the show, that'll be Christine, <laughs> but your boys, you know, your grandkids, I still see you involved in your grandkids. I'm not sure they are going to be podcast listeners. Who knows when they're old enough where technology If it's on YouTube
0: be- at the moment, if it goes on YouTube, they'll work, because they're on YouTube okay, all the time.
1: make sure we'll get this on YouTube. Yeah. Family, it's obviously everything to you. Uh w- what what's the latest in the family life and what influence do you hope to have? You've obviously had a great influence on your boys, the same work ethic your dad had that you had. It's the same with your boys. What about your grandkids?
0: No, they're eleven and ten now, and they live on the coast. Um, they're good boys. I'm not going to say they're going to be great soccer players, but they they like getting involved, and um, you know they're they've got a bit of lip. You know, which I like. You know, they've got a wee bit about them. They can talk to the adults well. They interact, which I think is important that people can talk. And uh, and that's why I've done so well. You know, I can just mingle in to anything. They, um, and they get off their dad and their uncle. They don't see Stuart much, but the two boys were always smart asses with me and Christine. Like we had them very young. Like Christine turned 19 when she had Scott. And um like we met at high school at 15. And then, obviously... She fell pregnant, and we got married a bit quicker, already engaged, because in Scotland at that time, there's nothing else to do with your time. You just got engaged, went and bought an engagement ring. You get the ring, you get the thing, you know, so... And obviously, the birth control defence was a lot... Wasn't as good as the defences I was playing against week in and week out, because they never worked. Um, so my ball control was tremendous. Um, But, you know, we've been married 38 years now, going together 42 years, and... um. You know, we went through a lot, and one of the hardest things I said was coming to Australia, making that decision, made our own house in Scotland, and I had my job, and I had my football money, and we had a wee terrace house that we bought, and was beautiful. We never had our own car, we didn't have a phone. You know, we it was we were setting up a life, and we came to Australia, and it was the, it was huge, like coming back, and all those years ago in nineteen eighty six to come to Australia. For eighty dollars a week for a state league club, you know, it was like you mad and then we sold the house, we came out with a deposit and then put a deposit down a, a house in Dandenong. Then they put the price up five hundred bucks. Typical Scottish thought they were ripping us off and we ten we left the the money, we didn't even buy the house and we spent the money over the next two years until we and then I moved to Sydney, I got transferred, I got Aussie clubs paid a few thousand dollars for me. I went for a box out at Heidelberg, Heidelberg to Appia, Appia to uh, Blacktown, and then we bought a house out in Windsor, and that was when we first bought our first house. And the boys grew up in Windsor for years.
1: Now you're on the Central Coast. No. Then. Yeah, and then if the, the grandkids are watching on YouTube, they're probably learning stuff about you from this that. I would well, not have known. And a few a few I'm months ago, they said, oh, They'll go all the way." They went. If they follow.
0: The boys at our school don't believe you're our grandpa, <laughs> so I had to get them something. And they said, "And one day they went, are you famous?'" Because I don't, we don't. They just it's just normal for them to be about football and stuff like that. And um, but the boys enjoy it. They became Jets fans. I was going to be half and half between the manners and that, and then I was going to get them a shot halved when we moved up here and. Then it finished up. Boy said, "No, we're Jets fans. We're coming yeah. with you." So they're big Jets fans now. They love coming to games and yeah, nice one. Um, you know they've they've been great. And obviously, you know you have your own kids, but you usually working too hard and traveling. And then to have the grandkids is the next lot. Is is great, great feeling. As you'll yeah, find nice out one. one day.
1: Nice one. Well, thanks so much, Laurie. I've loved chatting. There's some there's some little nuggets of gold in there. There's some messages that anyone listening. No matter what industry, we'll learn from and relate to, but still just a fascinating, like, entertaining story.
0: No, it's it's always it's always it's always good to catch up with. But it's good to talk about the old days. And I was never one that the older you get, the better you were, because I knew it was. I, I always say when I'm out talking that I achieved probably overachieved with the ability I had as a player, but I had a big ticker. A lot of better players than me never made it, and okay, at least I played professional. And got, I feel fortunate to get paid to do something I would have been doing from, and not getting paid. Yeah, I think that's a very. And I look at this job now. I'm I'm working in my 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 sport, doing things that I, you just dream about you doing. You love doing, and that's a um, key thing. And, and it's great. For what yeah, and I think a lot of people say it comes over when I'm talking about things. Well, so I can feel so it. that's good.
1: I hope the listeners feel it. Thanks very much. Might get you on again.
2: This episode of GTE is brought to you by Painaway, Australia's number one joint and muscle relief since 1999. Find out more at painaway.com. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of GTE with Hayden Knowles. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review to help grow the team.